Hello, and welcome to Stonebridge Community Church's online service. I am Pastor John, one of the pastors here at Stonebridge, and we are grateful that you are connecting with us through this online service. The way our online service goes is we'll have this welcome here, then we'll have some announcements, you'll hear the Word of God read, the Word of God preached, and then we'll have two songs to help guide you in your worship. Know that you are welcome here. If you are in town and if you are able and if you are comfortable, come and join us at our in-person services. We have a Saturday evening 5.30 service, a Sunday morning 9 o'clock service, and a Sunday morning 10.30 service. Come and join us if you are able and if you are comfortable and if you are ready. Know that we are ready for you to come and worship with us. But through this online service, may the Holy Spirit guide you in your worship. and May we worship God together. So we are looking at Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And we've been going through this series called Fulfilled. And in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, Do not think that I came to abolish or to destroy the law, but I came to fulfill it. And in doing so, Jesus gives us a glimpse of what fulfilled life looks like. What a life that is fulfilling God's hopes and desires for a human life looks like. And I just want to stress that when we turn to the Sermon on the Mount, this is a difficult standard that Jesus gives, one that none of us will meet perfectly, but we're still encouraged to try as his disciples. So this evening I'll be reading from Matthew 5, verses 38 through 42. And I invite you to hear the word of the Lord. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist an evildoer. But if anyone strikes you on the right cheek, turn the other also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your coat, give your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go also the second mile. Give to everyone who begs from you. And do not refuse anyone who wants to borrow from you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And please join me in prayer. Lord, speak to us now. Through your scriptures, through your Holy Spirit, speak to us, Lord. Let us hear you. Let us hear your teaching. And in the same way, you challenged your disciples with the Sermon on the Mount all those years ago. Challenge us here this evening. We seek to be your disciples, to be your followers. We desire to give a glimpse, give people a glimpse of you in this world, Lord. Help us to meditate now on your teachings. Speak to us. It's in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit we pray. Amen. A few years ago, I was listening to this radio show that opened up this chapter in American history from World War II that I had not been familiar with. Now, some of you may be familiar with this, but it was new to me. During World War II, here in the United States, we had a number of prisoner of war camps here on our own grounds in the United States. Now, when I think of a prisoner of war camp, I usually think of torture. I usually think of malnourishment, of starvation, of pain and suffering. But these camps were nothing like that. The prisoner of war camps with Japanese and German soldiers here in the US, enemy combatants who had been captured, 
they lived in these camps where they had clean sheets. They had great beds. They had some of the best food that they'd ever had in their lives. Some of the prisoners later on reflecting on it said they never ate better than they did in these prisoner of war camps. They even at certain points got instruments so they could put together orchestras and put on performances near the towns that they were in. They would walk into the towns. They would work in the towns. People even fell in love through this. It was this wild aspect to World War II that I had not been aware of. As you can imagine, though, when word got out about this, it created a huge national debate. People started wondering, why are we treating our enemies this well? Here's the thing. Whenever human beings decide not to retaliate in kind, in whatever setting, whenever humans decide not to retaliate, it's going to raise some questions. It's going to look wrong. It's not going to look right to us. Because that's what's been ingrained in us, to retaliate. And Jesus is teaching here of turn the other cheek. This teaching that Jesus gives us, it's not going to feel right to us. Before we really dive into Jesus' teaching, though, there's one thing I want to make very, very clear about what turn the other cheek doesn't mean. I want to do this at the very beginning here so that it's just very, very clear. Jesus' teaching, turn the other cheek, it does not mean continue to let somebody harm you. So if you are in any sort of relationship where there is abuse, it does not mean that you need to let that continue. Go and seek help. Seek a counselor, go to authorities, seek some sort of help because Jesus' teaching is not there so that Christians just let other people abuse them. That's not what he's getting at here. So that's what Jesus isn't getting at. And in order to understand what he is getting at, what Jesus is trying to help his disciples and his followers understand, we have to go back and look at context. Turn the other cheek is yet another one of those Jesus sayings that has been pulled out of its context and it gets used so often that we forget where it actually comes from and what the setting is in which it comes from. In this passage, Jesus is not just making stuff up. He's reflecting on the law of Moses. He's reflecting on a more ancient teaching. The one that he quotes there at the beginning here where he says, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye. This is an ancient teaching in the law of Moses. And like most every law in the Bible, there is a reason for this law. I say that and sometimes I really wonder how far are we stretching that because there's some laws in the Bible where I'm like, why is that there? Like there's a law that says you can't have woolen shirts and linen shirts. It has to be one or the other. I don't really understand that one. There's also a law that says... Um, if you catch a burglar in your home in the evening, you can stone them to death. But if it's during the day, you can't. So I don't know if that just encouraged burglars to go during the day or what the deal was. So some of these laws, I, I say that, I don't really know what the issue was. But when it comes for, to an eye for an eye, we know what the issue is there. An eye for an eye, when Jesus is saying, you have heard that it was said an eye for an eye, that teaching is meant to have equal 
justice. Because the problem that was happening was that people would take unequal justice. The practice was not an eye for an eye. It was, you take my eye, I kill you. That was what the problem was. But an eye for an eye put a cap on retaliation. So if somebody wronged you, you had to wrong them to the same extent and no greater. That's what the original teaching that Jesus is responding to was focused on. An eye for an eye actually puts a limit on retaliation. And that's the reason that it was in place so that you didn't have people going around escalating things and the people of Israel couldn't survive any longer. It's so that the person who was harmed doesn't then become the oppressor, so that the abused doesn't become the abuser. It meant to put a cap on just how much you could take back from someone when they wronged you. So when Jesus says, you have heard that it was said an eye for an eye, he's not overturning that. All of these phrases where Jesus says, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye. When he says, you have heard that it was said, then he says something else. He's not overturning the original teaching. He's deepening it. He's challenging us. He's taking us a step even deeper into that teaching. So when we understand that, that Jesus is talking about retaliation here, then the actual teaching he gives us, which is do not resist an evildoer, starts to make a little more sense. This is one of those moments where I'm going to be a little annoying and nitpick with the translation here. But whenever you come across a passage where there's multiple translations in English, that tells you that there is a tricky Greek word in there that's hard to translate. And that's this one of resist here. I don't think this is a good translation for it. The, the translation I use uses it, but they get things wrong sometimes, and this is one I think they did. Every translation gets things wrong, by the way. I know there's a couple of King James people out there like, no, but yes, it does. <laughs> Every translation gets things wrong from time to time. And here's one where I think the NRSV, the one I use, it got this wrong. Because resist makes it sound like you can't stand up for yourself, that you can't draw a boundary. But let me tell you how some other translations have translated this teaching of Jesus's. They've said, do not set yourself against. That's one common translation. Another one says, do not take revenge on. New Testament scholar Dale Bruner, somebody that I rely on when it comes to the book of Matthew, he translates, translates this as, do not try to get even with. You can kind of sum it up with, do not pay, repay an evildoer with wrong. What Jesus is saying here is focused on retaliation. When somebody wrongs you, don't just wrong them back. Don't try to get even with them. Instead, Jesus says, turn the other cheek. Go the extra mile. Again, Jesus is deepening this teaching here. Eye for an eye is actually a just rule. Eye for an eye would establish justice. But Jesus is saying, let go of the idea of justice for a second here. And when somebody wrongs you, don't try to get back at them. But instead, figure out how can you serve them? How can you actually help the person who has wronged you? That idea of going the extra mile with that person. Jesus' teachings, usually they're not just focused on the letter of the law. They're focused on something deeper. They're focused on the actual mindset. 
And in this teaching, Jesus is inviting us to let go of a mindset where we feel like we have to always get even with people who wrong us. And not only that, but we start seeing the people who wrong us for the broken, sinful people that they are who are in need of God's mercy. And we start seeing ourselves in that moment as people who can extend God's mercy as a model of the mercy that God extends to us. Jesus is teaching an eye for an eye, or excuse me, his riff on this teaching of eye for an eye, the teaching of turn the other cheek, of go the extra mile, of do not pay back the evildoer. It's trying to transform our very way of thinking about the people who would wrong us. And in that sense, this is an incredibly challenging and difficult teaching. Like I said, any time a human being doesn't retaliate at somebody else who has wronged them, it looks odd. It's going to stand out to us. But I think that when Jesus gives us his teaching, he's doing something even deeper than just changing our behaviors or changing our mindset. Jesus' teaching is not just random. He's not just pulling it out of thin air. Jesus' teaching here gives us a glimpse of God. Think back to God's relationship with us as humanity. The very beginning of humanity. Adam and Eve are in the garden. They forsake God. They harm the relationship with God. They sin and the fall enters into the world. And then from that point on, God is doing everything to pursue us, to chase us, even though we as humans continually turn away from God. Israel grumbles in the desert. What does God do? Continues to walk with Israel. When Israel's in the promised land and they forsake God for idols, what does God do? Continues to send the prophets to pull them back. Though God could retaliate against us, God chooses not to over and over and over again. Humanity walks away from God, so what does God do? Sends Jesus, God in human form, to reach out to us, to redeem us, to restore us. And what do we do? We put Jesus on the cross. And what does God do? overcomes the cross through resurrection. Over and over again, God refuses to retaliate to us and responds with mercy. The disciples and apostles are sent by the Holy Spirit. What do human beings do? We throw rocks at them. We stone them. We put them in prison. Over and over again, we turn away from God as human beings and God continues to refuse to retaliate against us. So this teaching that Jesus is giving here, it's something that connects us with the very character of God. It's something that puts us in line with God's desires for the world. Don't retaliate against somebody who does something evil to you. But instead, go the extra mile with them. Now there's one trap here, I think, with Jesus' teaching. Turn the other cheek, go the extra mile, Sometimes, and not anybody in this room I know, but sometimes some of us can do that with a little bit of a passive-aggressive intent. It's like, I'm going to turn the other cheek so that I can shame this person so that they'll look bad. I'm going to go the extra mile so that they look bad. I'm going to you know, take the high road because they're on the low road. Whenever we fall into that, we have to remember that's not what Jesus is talking about here. 
You don't do this. You don't turn the other cheek. You don't refuse to retaliate so you can make somebody look bad. This is not a means to an end. Turning the other cheek is an end in and of itself. With that story I opened with about the U.S. military and the prisoner of war camps, what was fascinating to me about that story was when this debate was kicking up and people were complaining, people were saying, why are we doing this? The army over and over again said, we're doing this because we're following what's called the Geneva Accords. We have an agreement. It was an agreement crafted after World War I. And it said, we're going to treat prisoners of war well so that other countries will treat our prisoners of war well. And they just said over and over again, we're going to do this because of the Geneva Accords, because it means our soldiers are protected. What ended up happening, though, that we know now, is that the war ended. And we started learning about how prisoners of war were treated in Germany. And the Nazis had thrown the Geneva Accords out. They did not uphold their end of it at all. And then we started learning more about what the Nazis had done in the Holocaust and what they had done to their own citizens and the people that they were occupying and the lands that they had taken over and how horrific it truly was. And that whole excuse of we're doing this to protect our own soldiers, it just fell apart because it was clear not everybody was going to uphold this. What was fascinating to me, though, is that the military leaders at the time they responded, even in the face of all that, by saying, we're still going to hold to the Geneva Accords. We're still going to do this. And they stopped saying just because we want to protect our own soldiers. They said because it's the right thing for us to do. Now, we all know, our nation has not lived up to that perfectly since then. But that is a moment where this idea of not retaliating, it broke through. Where human beings decided that they could do something better than just retaliate. And whenever those moments, however imperfect they are, come about, there is a glimpse of Jesus there. Even if it's not explicitly trying to tie the teaching to Jesus, I don't think for one second the army was saying, well, Jesus says turn the other cheek, so let's do these prisoner war camps. No. I don't think that's what was going on at all. But in those moments when it still happens, there's a glimpse of God's character breaking through. Because turning the other cheek, it reveals Jesus. And ultimately, for each and every one of us, if you seek to be a follower of Jesus, revealing Jesus to others, revealing the character of God to others, that's why we do this. So Jesus takes the teaching of eye for an eye. He pushes us deeper. Don't retaliate. Don't worry about getting back whatever it was you lost. Instead, serve the person that harmed you. Figure out how you can do that with appropriate boundaries, of course, doesn't mean let abuse continue, as I said. But figure out how you can care for that person as best as possible. That reflects God's character and how God in our, interacts with each and every one of us and how God interacts with you. Though a sinner, somebody invited into God's grace. So may we turn the other cheek. We're not going to do this perfectly. But may we strive to be Jesus' people, to reveal his character to this world. Please join me in prayer. Lord, whenever we human beings go against our nature, and we don't just get back at people who have wronged us, we don't try to seek revenge, Lord. Whenever we pursue health and care and your love, instead of pursuing our own benefit, our own desires for revenge, 
your character is revealed. You give us that model, Lord, from how you treat us, how you reach out to us, how you constantly pursue us, Lord. How though we, being enemies in sin, though we have forsaken you, though we, the worst of sinners, Lord, would forsake you again and again, you continue to care for us, to serve us. Help us to extend that to all those that we think have wronged us. Help us to extend that to all those that we know we have wronged also, Lord. Help us to reflect your character. We ask this in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.
Our devotion 